Hello there, and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast, where your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your little sister, your great-great-grandma, or Uncle Chuck. I'm Jill, and I'm here with Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jill. We love answering your questions, so please send them to us at kdl.org forward slash stump, or email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. You can email us your thoughts on our answers, too. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, this question at the top today actually comes from a Wyoming listener, Lillian. Lillian asks, what's the true reason you wanted to work at the library? And she says, not the money. (laughs) (laughs) We do get paid to work at the library. We do get paid. Uh, We do not get paid to read books all day long. No, we don't. That is false. Um, The true reason I wanted to work at the library is because I like helping people. And I think um, that I can use my skills to talk about books, but also help them find resources and show them all the things that KDL can do for them. And it's really exciting to bring that to our patrons. So mm-hmm. that's the reason I like to work at the library. That's great. I, I love that reason too. And that is probably what I would say why, what is the best part about working at the library now. But I don't know if I knew that when I first mm-hmm. wanted to work at the library. I I think I would say why I wanted to work at the library is because I thought it would be really fun way to work with kids. And it is. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. I love yep. doing story time. I do too. <laughs> it's the best. It is the best. You get to be silly and listen to silly music yep. and it's wonderful. It is. Agree. So Liz, this is our season finale. No way. Yeah. <laughs> when you hear this, it's all, we're going to be swinging into summer in our branches. Summer wonder. Summer wonder. There's going to be so many fun things happening at all of our branches. So hopefully you've already come in and started your summer wonder challenge and you've come to fun programs at all of our libraries. Liz, what's your favorite program that's coming, do you think, that you're most excited about? <sighs> what am about? I most excited about? Um, I, there's two, actually. Okay, let's hear them. Um, we're going to have um, musician Jim Gill here this summer. I'm really excited oh, about man, that, too. So he is amazing. We use his songs in our story times and baby times and all of our times. Yep. Um, he's kind of like a rock star, so I'm super pumped for that. And also... Tom Plunkard, because Aww. he has been doing magic at um, the library since I've been working here. So 14 years. Yeah, that's um, exciting. And every every single time I see him, he makes me laugh. And he shows me some magic that maybe I haven't seen before. But also he does the ones that I know, you know, like the, yeah. the magic tricks that I know. Um, it's kind of like a comfort. So I'm excited he's going to be back this summer. That is super exciting. Um, Jim Gill is at the total top of my list too. And I did a Jim Gill song just yesterday with first graders. So it doesn't really matter how old you are because sometimes my teenagers will even do really silly Jim. They will not like me saying this, so I apologize in advance, but they also will listen to Jim Gill because he's wonderful. He is. So please come see Jim Gill at any one of our branches that are having him. Um, but my other favorite is the Critter Barn. Oh, I do love the Critter Barn. Really there. any animal. Yep any animal program and we have several animal programs mm-hmm. this year I'm, I'm kind of excited about all of them we have the alligators animal. coming to I, the library that's wild to me i can't <laughs> believe we're having alligators at the library it's gonna be great so hopefully when you're listening to this you can check it out on our website kdl.org forward slash events and see all the things that are happening come see us 
Come see us specifically at Wyoming and Ada. Please come to these cities and see us. (laughs) Because we love summer. We love it. (sighs) So great. But we have some good questions today, too. <laughs> Are we going to do our podcast now? Oh, yeah, let's podcast. <laughs> okay, let's we can't do just it. talk about how cool the library is. <laughs> we can. Well, Lillian, thank you for asking that because we got to talk about how cool the library is. Love it. Love it so much. All right. Well, my first question. Oh, first of all, this question did come from um, some patrons here at the Ada Branch, and I have a little... Um, basket set out where kids can write down a question and and put it in the basket. So I do use those questions, and mm-hmm. I know you do. I do as too. Well, so well, and that question for Lillian was from my basket at oh, Wyoming. So check them out. <laughs> um, but this question it had three kids' names on it: Bella, Kramer, and Sam. Eight, fourteen, and six are their ages from Ada. Um, so I'm not sure which of those three kids asked this question, but I'm going to answer it and give them all a shout out for. Um, participating, but they asked, how old was the oldest person to live? How old was the oldest person to live? That's a great question. It is good. So I'm going to answer that question for you. It was a French woman named Jeanne Calmet who lived to the age of 122. That is really 122. She was born in 1875, February 21st, and lived until August 4th, 1997. Wow. Um, she grew up in a nice neighborhood in France. She was able to go to school until the age of 16. She was well off. She was wealthy and had help in her home. Uh, she didn't smoke, but it was reported she picked up the habit in the nursing home at age 112. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It doesn't matter when you're 112. (laughs) She, now, there were a few different reports of things that she may or may not have said, but she reportedly saw the Eiffel Tower while it was under construction. She was living in France, and she met Vincent Van Gogh. Uh, Long lives did run in her family. Her brother lived to be 97, her father to 93, and her mother to 86. She has been recognized as the best documented supercentenarian. So that is oh. someone who lives more than 110 years in history. Right. So lots of information about her. The current oldest person alive was born in the United States, but now lives in Spain. Maria Brañas Morera was born in San Francisco on March 4th, 1907, and is currently 116 years old. Wow. So, how do we find out about the oldest people? How do we know that this person lived to 122? Tell me. (laughs) Let me lay it on you. (laughs) There's actually a group called the Gerontology Research Group, the GRG, which is based in Los Angeles. Gerontology is the study of aging, and one of their jobs is verifying vital records for Supercentenarians, people who, it's a tough word yeah, to that say, is hard. people who have reached the age of 110. The GRG is often cited in the Guinness Book of World Records. Okay. So they have, they have to see a person's birth certificate and any name changes if they got married or changed their name to legally verify their age. Plus they need another legal form of identification. So the group maintains the information on an official table. It's on their website, Uh and it's made up of scientists 
who collect blood samples from the applicants, the people who are want to be on this table, to further research their DNA. Their ultimate goal is to slow and reverse the effects of aging. Um, they interview the super centenarians. I really hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> does it, it sound sounds like, good. Does it, it sounds sound good? great. <laughs> to learn about their lives and what factors contribute to their longevity, which means long-lived members of a group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so what determines how long a person might live? Genetics is a factor, but it's not the only one. If it's in your blood to have a long, healthy life, that is certainly helpful. However, lifestyle factors like exercise, your living conditions, whether you're in a developed country or an underdeveloped country, um, and nutrition, how much, um, how well you eat will go a long way to contributing to a person's lifespan. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, besides people... Some plants and animals can have really long lifespans. Can you think of an animal, maybe, Jill, that would have a long lifespan? What do you think of? An elephant, maybe? Mm, okay. Well. All right. I got, I got um, no guesses. <laughs> Not a mouse. The, um, I, a giant tortoise. Oh, um, yeah, of course. His name is Jonathan. Oh. <laughs> he was born in 1832 in Eastern Africa and is believed... To be the oldest animal in the world. I forgot about those guys. He's 191 years oh, old. Oh my goodness. I know. That's so old. So there's the giant tortoise. There's also uh, a species of shark um, called a Greenland shark. Oh, yeah, um, the University of Copenhagen has been tracking this Greenland shark in the waters of the Arctic, which is estimated to be, now this is a wide range here, somewhere between the ages of 272 and 512 oh. years old, making it the oldest vertebrate on Earth. Okay. But they live in the Arctic. They live deep down. I saw some pictures of some. They have, like, green slime on their backs because oh. they, they live so far beneath the water's surface. So yeah. very difficult to track. Um, probably hard to research. Probably hard to research. Yeah. yeah. Really interesting. Though. What about redwood trees? They're old, right? Okay. Well, that's a good – That's. They are old. Okay. You're right. All right. Um, that's not the one I'm talking about, oh, though. But <laughs> good, good try, Joe. <laughs> There's, um, it's called a bristlecone pine tree. Now, I actually found a book in our nonfiction section about oh. bristlecone pine, pine trees specifically. But there, I found this interesting story. There's a specimen located in the White Mountains of California that was measured by a scientist um, named Tom Harlan. And he was researching with the um, laboratory of tree ring, the laboratory of tree ring research, and he found a tree that was estimated five thousand sixty-two years old Whoa. in the year twenty ten. So That's experts old. can use a tool called an increment borer. So it takes a sample from the middle of the tree. It's a borer. It's kind of like a drill. Yeah. Um, and that way they can. Uh, see how old the tree is without cutting it down and looking at the rings. They can see from the middle of the tree how old it is, and it doesn't hurt the tree. But this researcher, Harlan, passed away in 2013, and neither the tree nor the core that Harlan was studying was found. So 
there's no way to confirm that this was true. Like he was documenting, but nobody found that sample and nobody found the tree itself. Oh. So it's like a mystery. Oh, that's exciting. (laughs) That sounds like a novel or something. Yeah. But um, they are continually researching these giant trees. Um, They grow at elevations above 5,600 feet. So it's way up high. Um, They can grow without much water and rocky soil. Um, One of the trees that has been measured and documented is over 4,850 years old. It's named, it has a name. It's called Methuselah. Oh, that's a good name. That's what the scientists name it. It's older than the Egyptian pyramids, just to put it in perspective. Um, But the exact location of the tree is a secret. The the park rangers Mm -hmm. won't tell you where it lives because they don't want anybody to harm it. Right. Um, So they're protecting Methuselah. That's good. Protect him. Protect him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trees, sharks, the tortoise, and then some really, really old people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of old stuff. It's a lot of old things in today's question. So oh, thank you exciting. to Bella, Kramer, and Sam for um, shedding some light on very, very old things in our world. Yeah, that's good. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, right. do you have a fact of the day for us? I actually I do. All right. I do have a fact of the day, but it doesn't have to do with old things. Oh, that's okay. Oh, okay. This fact of the day comes from the old standby Weird But True. I love these books. <laughs> Me too. So much. This They're is silly. <laughs> Weird But True Ocean 300 Fantastic Facts from the Deep Blue Sea. Cute. Um, so my fact is, in 1979, oceanographer Sylvia Earle descended to the ocean floor, trapped, strapped to the front of a submersible in an armored diving suit. So she went all the way down oh. to the bottom. She walked on the ocean floor for two hours. Oh, wow. And she set a world record. We talked about Guinness World Records yep. for the deepest untethered dive can you imagine walking on the ocean floor for two hours? No, especially untethered sounds scary. It does, doesn't it? She's just walking along, making discoveries probably. Yeah. Um, quite fascinating. But uh, that is from a Nat Geo Kids Weird But True Ocean. Wow. Thank you for that fact. That was kind I'm, of I'm a like, left turn there. I'm unsettled by that fact a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to walk on the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> It's amazing. I wonder yeah. if she got thirsty down there. Oh, I don't know. Like breathing in that oxygen for... Yeah, you're recycled. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> mm. That's what I would think about. Like, does she have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> she probably took care of all those things before she went down to the bottom of the ocean. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> oh, Jill, what do you have for us today? <laughs> do you have a question? I do. Yeah, my question uh, came in through our uh, website, kdl.org forward slash stump, where you could submit your own question. And it came from Dave. And this is interesting, but Dave asked art artificial intelligence to come up with some what? questions that might stump a librarian. <laughs> I know. So AI came up with a list of questions and Dave picked one and it is what is the most expensive book ever sold so i can see why ai maybe thought this would be a stumper because the problem is about this question is that it's not here's the answer and it never changes it's 
it's always changing, kind of like your question about the oldest person, that, that could, the record could be broken, oh, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. So tomorrow, a very expensive book might be sold, and then my answer I'm going to give right now will be wrong. <laughs> but as of right now, this is the answer. We just do the best with the information we, we do have. do the best with the information we have, yes. <laughs> also, because we only have records for history going back so far, there might be an answer further back in history that is different. That's probably mm-hmm. true for old age as well, right? Well, and it could be people who aren't documented, like it might be some expensive book that wasn't documented. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I think generally with a sale this large, there's taxes oh, and things yeah. that happen. <laughs> so it's pretty much documented, but you know, right, that's, right. yeah, but sure that, that absolutely could also happen. Um, you know, I also like to start out talking about databases and the way I research, but that's not the kind of question that you really ask a database is uh, what is the most expensive thing. So part of being a, a librarian is knowing where to go for the best information for the question that you have. So I did my research this time on Wikipedia. It's not a bad place to do your research, but if you are looking for the best information for like your school paper, you want to start at a database like World Book for Kids or Britannica for elementary, middle school, and high school. That's where I typically start for the answers to the questions I do for this podcast, but this is not the kind of question for that database. Sure. So I started Wikipedia. So what did I find out about? Oh, guess what? I'm just kidding. I did go to Britannica (laughs) because the first thing I need to talk about is inflation. Oh, no. Ah. (laughs) So I linked a Britannica article about inflation so you can really dive in if you're super interested in money. But I'm going to give you a very simple definition of inflation from the Britannica article. Inflation is a general increase of prices of goods and services. There's a mathematical formula. I'm not going to give you what it is because I don't (laughs) understand it. That economists use and that determine what the inflation rates are. We're going to use inflation rates today to talk about which book is the most expensive book ever sold because the list of the top five books that ever sold, they were all sold in different times. And so the money that they were sold for has a different rate of inflation in today's money. For example, today I could buy a candy bar for a dollar, usually. Uh, But... Back in 1990, when I was walking to go get my candy bar, we just talked about that earlier, (laughs) I could buy the candy bar for 50 cents. Mm -hmm. That's inflation. Same candy bar, and it costs more money. So my dollar doesn't go as far today. I could buy two candy bars back then. Man. Man. Now (laughs) just one. saved them up. (laughs) I I don't think the candy bars would be good anymore. (laughs) But so, I'm going to use the rates of inflation amounts for these books sold. So that's why I wanted to talk about that. Okay. Now I'm going to go back to the Wikipedia article. Finance is tough for me too. Not as tough as physics, but kind of tough. So what adjusted for inflation was the most expensive book ever sold? Well, it was sold in 1994 to Bill Gates. Okay. He's the founder of Microsoft Mm -hmm. and he purchased a book called Codex Lester, and it was written by Leonardo da Vinci. Yes. It's a collection of scientific writings, and it was published in the year 1510. Wow. I know. It's incredible. It is. A codex is like a modern book, 
but the paper is made with different material and it is handwritten. So this book is handwritten in Leonardo da Vinci's handwriting and drawings and things like that. It's bound together on the edge, just like a book we'd have today. In this particular codex, Leonardo da Vinci recorded his observations on, this is just some examples because there's a lot of different things in this codex, birds flying, and he studied how human bodies worked. He had drawings of that in this codex, and he also was researching the properties of water. Huh. Yeah. Sometimes we talk about that too. I know. <laughs> so those are all the things he was thinking about, and, and so many more. He was a great scientific thinker. In 1994, this codex was sold for $56.3 million. I'm sorry, that's the amount adjusted for inflation today. $56.3 million. And that is the most anyone has ever paid for a book. I know. Seems like it should be in a museum. I mean, I'm sure there's other. There are. There are. But. Yes. Like, can you imagine holding that in your hot little hands? I know. (laughs) I'm sure you're wearing gloves and whatever. Right. You probably are wearing gloves. I can't imagine, though. Probably take very good care of it since it was published in 1510 and written in Leonardo da Vinci's handwriting. Um, So Bill Gates actually used some of those pages as images on Microsoft computers, and you can see them online, some of the pages today. Mm -hmm. Some of da Vinci's other notebooks are in museums. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they should be in a museum. Some of them are. Actually, many of them are. Mm -hmm. So you can see his work in museums. He's actually probably most known for his art. I think people do know that he studied science, but his art is very, uh, very famous, well-known. I have linked a cool article about da Vinci that is from the Met Art Museum, and it has images of not even his most famous artwork. It has images of like his drawings of things that would be in this codex. Cool. So it's very cool. So it, it's a really great biography of him as well from the Met Museum. They have really neat uh, resources on their website. Um, great for, for kids and also for adults. Yeah. I love museums. I know. I do. I do too. And okay. I have a quiz for you. (laughs) (laughs) You always do. I know. What do you think is the second most expensive book or manuscript ever sold here? I'm adding manuscript here, and it's a hint. It's a manuscript that's very important to the United States. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Um... I don't know. I don't All know, right. Jill. I'm All sorry. Right. I'll tell you. I'll just tell you. It is the first printing of the United States Constitution. Oh, see, I was going like Declaration of Independence, but I didn't think if that really counted as like a book. Uh, well, mean, that's why I said or well, manuscript. Right. I yeah, know. It was I a wasn't... trick. It was kind of tricky. I'm sorry Jill. to trick you. That was just mean. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Go ahead. Um, so <laughs> it was sold in 2021. So oh, pretty recently. Okay. For fifty forty five point two million, and that is also in, adjusted for inflation. Even in just a few years, mm-hmm. there's adjustment for inflation, but that number is closer to the actual dollar amount because right. it changes over mm-hmm. time slowly. So, uh, I have a question for you that is not a trick question or a quiz. It's just: Have you ever seen any rare books, or do rare books like interest you? Um, I mean, I've seen them in museums and mm-hmm. yeah, I, they do interest me, Jill. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I've never wanted to own any. Like, I don't no. think I would spend, well, I don't have $56.3 million to spend, but sure. I wouldn't, I don't think I would buy this well, codex. You, you can't, you can't read it. I mean, you can't no. in, enjoy it, I guess, because it's right. so rare and expensive. Right. Yeah. At least, I don't know, if you think like a piece of art, at least you can look at it. Right. That's <laughs> it's true. It's not like you're going to sit down in your backyard and flip through this really no. expensive book. I don't know. No. It's just practicality. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like a shiny new book, I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I am interested in rare books and I got the opportunity last spring to go to the rare book collection at Central Michigan University's library mm-hmm. and... Um, they talk to us about touching rare books and you talked about gloves earlier. And I do think that there's probably mixed views on gloves or not gloves, but at the rare book collection at central Michigan university, they actually said no gloves because your fingers are more sensitive when you're touching the paper. So you don't accidentally rip anything, but you do have to wash Wash your hands hands. really thoroughly and then dry them really thoroughly before you touch. But they let us touch really cool, rare very old books from Michigan and some of the earliest books are written like on birch bark. Oh wow. And I got to touch them. That's cool. It was really cool. And then they had a whole collection of pop-up books. You know, when you turn the page and the pictures pop up, they had a really neat collection of those that were um, not, they weren't super old, like 1510, more like 1900, but we got to look at those and we we really got to turn the pages and see how they popped up. It's like art. It is art. Yeah. So that was really fun. And I think that was probably kind of the first time that I was really into rare books. Like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I see why people are into this. But so that is the answer. And I have to tell you, sorry, AI, it was not hard. (laughs) (laughs) We learned so much. We did. We did. But Wikipedia has a nice article about it with links to all different things and, um, from that article, you can link to each one of those documents. Um, but I did link um, Britannica articles about Leonardo da Vinci, and it like briefly mentions that codex. But there's a longer Wikipedia article about mm-hmm. it, probably because it sold for so much money. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Can't even imagine. No, I, I, I can't either. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. I, no. <laughs> But really interesting. Thank you. For yeah. yeah. Thank you, Dave, for that question. It was a lot. Now to we think know. About. Now we know. Yep. <laughs> so I have a book recommendation. Oh, yeah. And it has nothing to do with rare documents. Okay. <laughs> well, you said you like to read, you know, a shiny new book, too. So this would be more like a. Yeah. This is a shiny new book. A shinier new book. (laughs) Much shinier, yes. So it's called Lupe Wong Won't Dance, and it is written by Donna Barbara Higuera, and it is about Lupe Wong, and her plan is to be the first female pitcher in the major leagues, and she does play on the boys' team in her middle school because she's so good at pitching. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, and she is... uh, Chinese and Mexican, and she calls herself Chinakin or Mexanese. <laughs> she likes them both. Nice. She doesn't matter. It doesn't matter her which one, but she does not like it that she has to choose in the bubbles and say only one. Is she Chinese or is she Mexican? She's, How come there's not Chi- Chinakin or Mexanese on here? <laughs> nice. 
Nice. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so she, her uncle tells her that if she gets all A's in every one of her classes, she will go and get to meet her favorite pitcher, Fuli Hernandez, who's also Chinese and Mexican, nice. just like her. Yeah. Here's the problem. Gym class has taken a turn. Oh, no. Loopy loves gym class, but they have to learn square dancing. Oh. And, you know, that was like my favorite part of gym class. Mine too, because it didn't involve like running or throwing things throwing at each other. <laughs> I'm not a pitcher, oh. but I could still relate because um, that feeling of not wanting to go to gym class, mm-hmm. which was new for her, was common for me. So I, I found this book very relatable, even though I'm not very much like Loopy. But so she did not want to do square dancing over the horror. <laughs> so she worked really hard to try and change square dancing at their school. She visited the principal. like I think she visited the principal five times in this book <laughs> to complain about square dancing. And then she first time she had like a whole PowerPoint of why they should not have to square dance. She th- really thought it's true. She did her research. She did her research. Nice. She's like, this is outdated. We don't need to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they did square dancing at their school where the boys asked the girls and the girls couldn't say no. What? I know. Totally outdated. Mm-hmm. And she was like, this has got to change. And so she fought for that. And then the principal ended up agreeing with her. She's like, you're right. That's outdated. We're going to change that. By a crazy turn of events, Lupe ended up with no partner for square dancing. (laughs) So she's dancing by herself on stage with all the other um, other partners dancing with each other. And then she has a falling out with her best friend, Andy. And her mom always says to her, you can make it through middle school if you just have one good friend. And she thinks, how can I do this? I know. It's really heartbreaking. And I thought, that is so relatable. It's so hard when you have a fight with your friend. Yep. And so she is just in a whole pickle and she is like, how do I fix these things? And I'm, that is for you to find out. And let me tell you what, I stayed up kind of late last night to find out how she fixed them. So I know now. It sounds like it's kind of funny too. It's really funny. And I think one of the funniest scenes to me is when her grandparents come over for dinner and they kind of like to outdo each other. So her Chinese grandma is bringing all this delicious Chinese food. And then her Mexican grandma is bringing all this delicious Mexican food. And her mom says to her and her brother, wear your Thanksgiving pants. Grandmas are coming. (laughs) I want to go to that dinner. That sounds delicious. And so both of the grandmas are like piling their food on her and her brother's plates. And they're like a little bit competitive with each other for saying which food is better. And she's like, why do we have to choose? It's all delicious. That sounds amazing. It's so great. And I just, I really liked her. She does have um, great friends in it, in it too. And like, more friends that she makes in the book. And it sometimes when somebody is all alone with no friends and having all these problems, that's like too sad for me to read. <laughs> and so when she does have some other friends that she makes while she's dealing with this, falling out with her very best friend and dancing without a partner and, you know, navigating that relationship with her brother, all of those things happen. And it's just wonderful. And you're going to love how it turns out and find out how she fixes this square dancing problem. 
it's like a big problem. <laughs> I mean, I liked it, but I can see why it would be a problem for you if you just want to play baseball. Sure. That sounds like a great book, Jill. Thanks. It was a great book. Shall we talk about what we learned today? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can tell you that my favorite thing I learned today was that there's an organization that tracks people who are, oh boy, super centenarians? Centenarians? Centenarians. I hope that's right. <laughs> people that are over 110. 110, mm-hmm. yeah. I d- there's a whole organization. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. And they work with the Guinness Book of World Records. So That's awesome. Yeah, they are like documented. So it's yeah. really cool. That is cool. I learned... An, an amazing fact that sometimes when you're handling an old book, you should take your gloves off. Like yeah. I kind of always had it in my head that you had to wear like white cotton gloves when you touched anything old, but it makes sense yeah. that you would be more careful with something that is antique or a rarity if you could actually feel it. So right, I learned that today. Thanks yeah. for sharing that with me, yeah. Joe. You're welcome. I think in the movies, it always shows people with the gloves on. Maybe that's my, you know, that's just, my perspective is what I see on TV. Yeah, like National Treasure when <laughs> yeah. they're touching the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, no uh, well, problem. I mean, I'm sure there are some that you do have there to. There probably but, are. But it makes sense in my head now that you said yeah. that. All right. Well, that was an amazing episode. I hope you'll come and visit us this summer. Yeah. It's going to be great. We'll be back in September. We will. Yeah. With even more questions. Way more questions. <laughs> but that's it for today. So um, thank you so much for everyone who contributed to this um, podcast. For more information or to send us your own question, head to kdl.org forward slash stump. Tune in to the next episode down the road when we answer more of your questions. A huge and special thanks to the KDL Programming Department, the KDL Marketing Department, and J.D. Delinsky for our intro and outro music. Thank you.